0: Hello and welcome to This Week I Learned, your audio guide to the most surprising discoveries and fascinating studies of the week. I'm your host, Lauren Hansen. This week I learned that false information can actually boost your memory. This may be good news in our internet era, which seems to be teeming with fake and false news, but there is a trick. You have to be able to recognize that the information is wrong, otherwise misinformation can actually harm your memory and help you create false memories, which is something scientists call the misinformation effect. Now, to find the memory-boosting effects of false information, researchers conducted two experiments. They're similar enough, so I'll just detail one of them. In this study, a group of undergraduate students watched six slideshows. Each slideshow had 50 photos about a particular event. After looking at the slideshows, the participants read descriptions for each slide of the previous slideshows. Some descriptions were consistent with what they saw, some were neutral, and some were inconsistent. So, for example, if the slide showed a thief finding $1 bills in a car, a consistent description of that event would be something like, he saw that the bills were all $1 bills. A neutral description would be a little bit more general, but still accurate. An inconsistent description would be something like, he saw that all the bills were 20s. So, the participants then had to answer multiple choice questions about the original slideshows they watched, like what kind of bills were in the car. After making the selection, participants then had to report whether they noticed any discrepancies along the way, between the original slides and the descriptions. And interestingly, when people reported noting discrepancies, they were more likely to select the correct response in the test whereas those who didn't detect any discrepancies were more likely to remember the event wrong. There's something that scientists call a classic interference theory, and this suggests that change is almost always bad for memory. This is at the root of the misinformation effect. But this study shows that it isn't a hard and fast rule. Change can also be good for memory, but in the right circumstance. If people notice that the misinformation isn't accurate, then they won't create a false memory about that event. This week I learned that dinosaur eggs may have taken six months or more to hatch. This is a very cool discovery that complicates what we know or what we thought about dinosaurs. For one, a lot of recent research has illustrated how similar dinosaurs are to birds, like they had feathers. The evidence has grown so much that experts suggested that it would be more accurate to call dinosaurs non-avian dinosaurs and birds avian dinosaurs. But this new revelation, which was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, shows how non-avian dinosaurs were also closely related to other living reptiles like crocodiles. Now, the way scientists found how long it took dinosaur eggs to hatch is actually pretty cool. It's a new line of evidence based in embryonic tooth age. Basically, researchers used teeth from rare fossil embryos found in fossilized eggs that were about to hatch. Then they counted the daily growth markers in the teeth. One 70-ish-year-old embryo from a sheep-sized dinosaur called a protoceratops was found to have an incubation time of at least 83 days, which is about three months. Whereas the embryo of a large duck-billed dinosaur called a hypocrosaurus, which laid eggs the size of soccer balls, would have incubated for at least 171 days, which is nearly six months. And those incubation ranges probably got only longer from there, The larger the dinosaur, the larger the egg, the longer the incubation times. So many eggs could have taken the greater part of a year to hatch. And here's the conundrum. Such long incubation periods throw into question the understanding that dinosaurs migrated. You couldn't easily migrate if you had to watch over your eggs for a year. Long incubation periods also mean that dinosaurs would have had to be very careful about where they nested, finding landscapes protected from floods, drought, and predators for months. This revelation also means that dinosaurs reproduced incredibly slowly. Scientists point out that none of this would have benefited the dinosaur situation 65 million years ago when a comet came barreling into the planet. In fact, such long incubation periods could have been one contributing factor to the dinosaur's ultimate demise. By the end of the dinosaur's lifetime, birds, which started to appear, already had shorter gestation times, and what do you know, they're still around. This week I learned you should basically never clean your ears. It may seem satisfying and even feel hygienic to swirl a cotton swab around your ear, but it's not. The American Academy of Autolaryngology released a list of do's and don'ts for ear care, and it says first and foremost, don't put anything smaller than your elbow in your ear. You see, earwax is a good thing. It helps us stay clean. It's made up of oil from glands in the outer ear canal, as well as hair and dead skin cells, and yes, that sounds disgusting, but it's incredibly helpful. This gummy substance protects the inner ear from certain bacterial and fungal infections. Basically the earwax acts as a sticky trap for bacteria that then gets flushed out of the ear with our jaw movement. Long ago when we lived mostly outside, earwax may have actually kept insects from crawling into our ears while we slept. Sticking cotton swabs in our ears can actually be dangerous. Not only do some people go too far and damage their eardrums, but regular cotton swab use can push earwax down further into the ear canal causing ear infections. And according to Quartz, it's actually an affliction called impacted earwax that affects 12 million adults per year. The fact that so many of us are hooked on cleaning our ears with cotton swabs is a bad habit that can be essentially blamed on the cotton swab makers. Q-tips as you know them today were introduced to the marketplace in 1923. These early iterations were single-sided and made of wood, but basically did the same thing. They were advertised for baby care, and soon grew to be an everyday tool. A 1927 advertisement suggested they be used for eyes, nostrils, ears, gums, and more. It's so handy having Q-tips round the house. And in this vintage ad, a mother swabs her newborn's ears and a young child swabs the ears of his dog. Clean their ears, eyes, and paws with gentle Q-tips cotton swabs. It's so handy having Q-tips. In these early decades, it was encouraged to use Q-tips in the ears, as you can probably tell. But around the 1970s, something shifted. The Q-tip brand began labeling their cotton swabs for adult ear care only. And today, there are more explicit warnings on the Q-tip boxes that say, matter of factly, do not insert swab into ear canal. But despite the warnings, Q-tips have been synonymous with ear cleaning. Okay, you have to stop the Q-tip when there's resistance. (laughs) Experts say that cleaning your ears is a self-perpetuating addiction, kind of akin to scratching an itch. The more you do it, the more you feel it should be done. But I'm telling you, resist the urge. Pushing wax into the ear can not only lead to ear infections, ruptured drums, or damage to the bones in your ear, but also can induce hearing loss. Wax is good, let your inner ear indulge in it. This week I learned that those dollar dollar bills in your wallet are teeming with bacteria. To put it bluntly, bills and coins are filthy. So filthy that some experts suggest cash is a public health risk. That may seem a bit extreme, but when you know all the pathogens catching a ride on your fiber, you may not scoff. Studies have found disease-causing bacteria, including E. coli, and one nasty little bugger known as MRSA that is resistant to antibiotics and causes life-threatening blood infections. Banknotes have also been found to have traces of fecal matter, cocaine, heroin, yeast, and fungi. Researchers have also found DNA from various animals, including, weirdly, the white rhino, all on US currency. In one alarming study out of Australia, researchers found about 1,000 microbes on a single U.S. bill. That was more than any found on Australian or New Zealand currency. There are several factors that make American currency such a petri dish for bacteria. For one, American bills are particularly porous. It's made of a blend of cotton and linen, which is more hospitable to bacteria. Canada and Australia, by comparison, use polymer-based banknotes, which is more resistant to dirt and bacteria. Also, our currency stays in circulation for a long time. Dollar bills have the shortest lifespan, about two years, but the higher the currency, the longer it stays around, as much as 15 years. And all that human touch only compounds the problem. Bacteria feed off the oils and waxy residue that builds up over time. And that does it for this episode of This Week I Learned. Look out for new episodes every Friday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To read more about any of the facts I've mentioned or to check out more of our series, go to theweek.com slash podcasts. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend or give us a rating or a review on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen and thank you so much for listening.